Before we begin this week, I have some prayer updates for you. Um, Doris, who I've been mentioning the past couple weeks and asking for your prayers, passed away peacefully this past Thursday morning at 1.45 Eastern Time. So Doris is not suffering anymore, and she went home to be with God that she believed in, and we are so very happy, uh, elated actually, for her that she's finally home and that she suffers no more. If we could please keep uh, Bob and Elaine in your prayers. Bob is Doris's son, and Elaine is my mother, who is married to Bob. As you can only imagine, uh, this left a gaping hole in their lives, and it's going to take time uh, for them to heal. And let us pray that, you know, they are also at peace now that Doris is not suffering anymore and that she's now in heaven, which is what she firmly believed in all of her life. So, you know, it's it's time to celebrate Doris's life. So please join me in doing that and celebrating Doris's life. Give her, you know, a final prayer of thanks and gratitude. and, And may she be looking down over her family and continue to take care of them. And my sister Tanya, her surgery went very well this past Wednesday. She is home and healing and recovering very well. Uh, If we could please keep her in our prayers that this continues, that she heals quickly and fully and that the things that ailed her before the surgery no longer ail her and that she is able to enjoy peace and health and no suffering. On behalf of my family, I would like to thank each and every one of you from the very core of my heart for all of your thoughts and prayers uh, for them. Uh, We can't thank you enough. And again, if you want us to pray for you, please don't hesitate to contact me. I love to pray. People that listen to the show love to pray. We would love to pray for you. There's information at the end of the show on exactly how you can contact me if you don't already know so we can pray for you. Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe that the divine works through people to help us every day. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Hello, my name is Angel, and I'll be your host as we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope you all are doing as well as possible and that you're blessed. Please know that each and every one of you are in my heart and in my prayers. If you're new to the show, a big welcome and thank you for finding us. And I hope you find what you are looking for and more here. And if you're returning, thank you. Infinite thanks. For returning to the show. We have an awesome show this week. I know. When aren't they awesome shows? (laughs) 
This week's show was brought to my attention by um, a dear friend and brother um, from another mother, Father Mike Cantor. And Father Mike, if you haven't heard me speak of him before, go back and listen to previous episodes. (laughs) Father Mike uh, is the creator, producer, theologian, and host for the truly mind-blowing I should say mind hemorrhaging podcast called Logic and the Bible. I will have links to Father Mike's podcast in the show notes. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. It will literally blow your mind inside and out. Your view of the Bible and everything biblical and even your faith will majorly change uh, and for the better. For the positive, uh, thanks to Father Mike's teachings and infinite blessings to him for them. But anyway, uh, Father Mike contacted me and gave me the idea for this uh, person to host on our podcast this week. It is a Buddhist teacher, uh, a person that I had never heard of before, and I'm familiar with his teacher, uh, but I had never heard of him, and it's a shame that I hadn't, and again, Infinite thanks and blessings to Father Mike for bringing this amazing person to my attention so I can share him with all of you. And, you know, that's something I literally beg everybody each week at the end of the show is to please share with me those people you know of or know personally, or maybe it's even you. Yeah, you look in the mirror. Maybe it's even you that is, you know, someone that can inspire, uplift, encourage, give strength and hope to others, uh, people that are angels and saints uh, living in past that we have never heard of in the rest of the world that are known to you and your culture and your country. So at the end of the show, I always give information on how to contact me and let me know about these people so we can have shows like this. So again, infinite thanks to Father Mike Cantor and his amazing show, Logic in the Bible, for this great, amazing, beyond amazing, truly amazing person that we're going to talk about today. So, who is this truly amazing being? It is none other than Eason Dorsey. That's I-S-S-A-N-D-O-R-S-E-Y, also known as Lone Mountain. Isan is an icon within the Zen Buddhist community, especially among the gay and lesbian Buddhist. And please don't let that deter you. Um, we don't hold anything against anyone or nor do we judge anyone here. This show is a safe place. There's a sign on the door. <laughs> this is a safe place. Everyone and anyone is welcome here, regardless of their gender, their race, their culture, their beliefs, their non-beliefs, etc., etc., so forth and so on. So please don't turn the podcast off because I use the terms gay and lesbian, because if you do, you're going to miss out on an amazing being that can help you, your faith, and everyone, and has. So Isan was born on March 7th, 1933, and unfortunately, he passed away on September 6th, 1990. 
I'm going to be reading to you an article here that was uh, published in Lion's Roar. Lion's Roar is a very well-known Buddhist publication, um, one that I was uh, subscribed to back in the day when I used to teach uh, Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. And it's from an article from March 1st, 1998 by Kobai Scott Whitney. And it's titled The Lone Mountain Path, the example of Isan Dorsey. And I'll have a link to that, of course. Everything I talk about, as I always do, will, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can check out the article. Born Tommy Dorsey in Santa Barbara, California, on March 7, 1933, he was the oldest of 10 children and raised Catholic. Although he contemplated studying for the priesthood, he ended up joining the U.S. Navy, from which he was eventually expelled for homosexual conduct. In the 1950s, he then began a long career as a performer in drag shows in San Francisco's North Beach, a district which served as the Castro Street of its era and also hosted such fringy populations as beat poets, drug dealers, coffee house, anarchists, and jazz musicians. Do any of you know any drag queens? Show of hands? My hands raised. My family and I have always been supporters of the gay, lesbian, LGBTQ community, uh, people, and their rights. Um, they are some of the most amazing people you would ever meet. And uh, some of our friends are do drag queen things, and um, they are they're just over the top. They're they're wonderful, amazing, happy people. Um, I can't say enough great things about him. And so this is how uh, Tommy started out, or, or also as we, as we know as Isan, uh, how Isan started out. And it's, it's a shame that, you know, back in the day, and still even today to some extent or more extents than should be, the, the military and just people in general have this um, phobia against homosexuality and I know a lot of it comes from uh, you know right-wing Christians <clears throat> excuse me and I'm not singling out Christians because you know what it's in all faiths uh, there are people that are um, you know prejudiced in all faiths even Buddhism you know um, so it's it's truly sad and tragic you know we are all beings of the universe we are all beings of the divine regardless of what that entails or doesn't entail we are all of the divine the divine is all of us and that can't be stated enough and we all need to believe that i'm telling you folks it's the absolute unconditional ultimate truth that we all come from the divine. Remember the Penny Whitbrot episode, folks, episode one of this season where Penny actually met God in her near-death experience. And God showed her in her DNA exactly where he is or it is or she is or whatever that which you cannot label is in each and every one of us from the smallest to the largest animate and inanimate the divine is everything and everything is the divine okay so that was my psa i'll, I'll get down off my pulpit or my soapbox now and, and get back to the article in his shows 
Uh, Esam was billed as Tommy D, the boy who looks like the girl next door. In the 1960s, Tommy depended or deepened, excuse me, his use of alcohol and drugs while joining the hippie movement as founder of a large, still well-remembered commune. In his North Beach years, Tommy D shot heroin with Lenny Bruce, partied with late Carmen McRae, and claims to have discovered Johnny Mathis. McRae used to argue with him about this, claiming that she was the one who discovered the young singer. During these years, he had frequent injuries, overdoses, and run-ins with the police. He once said, sometimes I'd wake up hungover in jail. The first thing I'd do was feel to see if I had my tits on. This would tell me whether they had locked me up in the men's side or the hooker and women's side of the prison. In the late 1960s, he began to sit Zazen. That's a very disciplined style of meditation in uh, Zen Buddhism uh, with the great, amazing uh, Zen master Suzuki Roshi, who we're going to be doing a show on uh, sometime in the future. And his life began to change. He was eventually ordained as a Buddhist priest by Richard Baker, Suzuki Roshi's successor, and given the name Isan. A full account of Isan's life can be found in David Schneider's Street Zen, The Life and Work of Isan Dorsey. And I will definitely have a link to this uh, in the show notes. Isan claimed never to have read a single book from cover to cover except for one. Suzuki Roshi's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Oh my, I cannot recommend that book enough to everyone listening, regardless of your faith. This book is just one of the absolute best books you will ever read or study in your lifetime. Throughout the late 1970s and 1980s, he moved through the world of the San Francisco Zen Center like an angel in tabby socks. As graceful and outrageous as the stage-wise drag queen he had been before meeting Suzuki Roshi. Unafraid to acknowledge his long history of drug use, cross-dressing, and prostitution, Isan served as a kind of fringy shaman to the uptight and elitist Zen Center community of those years, a community with the, an atmosphere that actor-writer Peter Coyote once called High Episcopal. Isan had always been comfortable in the borderlands of respectability and could serve to welcome anyone to the Zen Center, no matter how odd they seemed to the broader Sangha. And a Sangha is the community of uh, people at a Buddhist center. This benefited individual beginners whom Isan could usher through the sometimes unwelcoming veneer of the Page Street City Center. It also helped the Sangha since Isan's success in adjusting to the rigors of Zen training proved to them that meditation practice could benefit anyone. So he was not only welcoming and mothering to all those who came in new, um, he was also very approachable and, and people could relate to him. He was extremely relatable because of his past and because he didn't hide his past, he shared it openly and freely with everyone that he let them know that regardless of who you are in your past, you are welcome 
in that you can change in that you know this zen buddhist way is the way that changed him and it can change anyone and for those of you who don't know anything about zen buddhism i will post a little documentary uh it was on it's on youtube in the show notes that gives you a kind of a general idea um, on zen buddhism it can be quite strict and quite rigid especially in the meditation practices postures have to be exactly so you can't waver you can't move from side to side you have to be completely still they host silent retreats where you don't talk you know which you find that silent retreats in a lot of monasteries uh, as well they do that as well monks nuns priests nuns sisters they all do um, which it's great I highly recommend a silent retreat it can greatly help you it brings to your mind how much here here listen to me talk <laughs> it brings to your mind how much useless things you say and waste the precious breath of life that's in your lungs I know I'm holding up my hand I'm so guilty of that but again to show how you know Isan welcomed these people in because it can be very very um, standoffish and, and very extremely intimidating to walk into a Zen center and you see all these black robe bald people you know sitting perfectly and motionless and quiet and you know it's just yeah it, it can be overwhelming but he welcomed people in he showed them that hey I did it it changed my life you can do it and change your life as well. Isan as Zen priest at Tassa Jara in the San Francisco city center did not see himself as any kind of Buddhist missionary to the gay community. In fact, he made fun of the macho middle class consumer values of gay San Francisco. Those were the years when jeans and lumberjack flannel shirts were the official uniform for gay men. When doing drag or using misnames were not politically correct activities. Years before the founding of Hartford Street Zendo, when the first meeting of a gay Buddhist club was announced, Isan scoffed at the idea, Buddhism is Buddhism, practice is practice, might be a summary of his response. At that time, in those last pre-AIDS years, his major preoccupation was starting a soup kitchen in San Francisco's Tenderloin District. And who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like Blessed Father Solanus Casey, who we just did a show on? Wow, here we go. Another truly amazing being focused on helping others regardless of who that person is. Although he made fun of white middle-class American culture in all its forms, gay or straight, he never judged or rejected a person because of their social class or values. He had wealthy friends, and he had friends who lived on the streets. He spent most of his social time in the 70s with the predominantly straight men and women who practiced at the Zen Center. In his role as male mother, Isan had many straight men who were deeply devoted to him as friend and mentor. And again, those of you who have uh, gay friends know how amazing these beings are and how, you know, they are so easily approachable 
And I mean, again, I'm not putting them above anybody else. I'm not putting anybody above anybody. I'm trying to uh, take people because we do have a large part of our listening audience that is older, like my age and older. And I want to make sure that if they have any um, conditions, stereotypes or thoughts in their mind that gays are this or gays or any kind of negative, that that is definitely not the case. So please, please please put try your level best to put that out of your mind and definitely out of your heart and see these beings for the divine beings and creations of the divine that they truly are everyone is regardless even the guy that just flipped you off in traffic for cutting him off believe it or not he is a cre- creation of the divine and also people that kill murder i mean which is the same thing right <laughs> steal that do wrong those are people from the divine as well and we you know it's part a huge part of our faith to see past that i mean if you're christian you know jesus never ever turned his back on anyone regardless murderers or not you know um he even welcomed one into his own uh discipleship he made a disciple of one who was simon the zealot you know, who was an extremist Jew who was an assassin and went after Romans and people that you know, went to kill him. So if Jesus can do it, why can't we do it? Okay, again, I know. Another PSA. I'll, I'll, I'll get down. I hope you all see where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm not pointing fingers. I just want to make sure that we're all like beyond crystal clear and that we don't miss the point of who Isan was and is and his legacy. I mean, since we're talking Zen, to quote the Buddha who was a teacher, he was not a god or anything divine. He was a human being like you and me that awakened to what the ultimate truth and ultimate reality was and began living from that. As the Buddha said, the way is like a finger pointing to the moon. Bruce Lee quoted this in the movie Enter the Dragon. The way is like a finger pointing to the moon. If you focus on the finger, you will miss the moon in all its heavenly glory. So, the same applies to Isan. If you focus on his, him being gay, you are missing everything that Isan stood for and everything that Isan taught, and everything that he was and still is. His legacy. So, here Isan said, Sometimes he told fellow priest Shunko Michael Jomvold, I like to go out with straight men because they treat me like a lady. So, he was an extremely, extremely relatable person that made you feel at ease and at home and comfortable. Um, and, you know, that's something that we all desperately need. It may only have been after his death that many people who spent time with Isan realized how he had taught them. While many remember his wacky one-liners, it was with his wordless demeanor that he actually taught us. In his book, David Schneider comments on Isan's fondness for his beads. Also, in Buddhism, we call it a mala. I've spoken about this in previous shows, which is a, 
a type of rosary, his Buddhist rosary. His care for what Western culture views as non-animate objects was a form of his teaching to many around him. Isan dressed impeccably and meticulously, whether in monk's robes or street attire. He adjusted every piece of fabric lovingly. He often spent quiet time in his room mending clothing. The careful, sensuous way he applied oil of Olay to his face and he sh his shaved scalp each day reminded one of his friends of a retired actress intent on preserving her aging continence. And that's one thing of those, if those of you who aren't familiar with Zen Buddhism, that's one big thing uh, of Zen. And we did a show on the great master Thich Nhat Hanh um, some time ago in season one. And Thich Nhat Hanh, and, well, let's just say, Zen Buddhism period is all about mindfulness, being here now. Your mind is not focused or thinking of the past, and your mind is not focused or thinking of the future. Your mind is focused on right now, because if you really analyze it, now is all that we have. And the now that is now is a now that you've never lived before, and you will never live again. We don't, we also, all of us, underestimate the importance of now this moment right now um, we all have this feeling that you know because of our culture and because of media that we will live forever and life will go on and on and on and we we don't realize how fleeting and short life is I mean it's why we run away from death why we hate funerals you know one of the reasons many reasons why we hate funerals because we don't want to be reminded of death. That's why when someone passes in a hospital, what do they do? They cover them up and they quickly sweep them away to a back corridor in a service elevator and take them to a morgue in the basement where no one can see them. It's, you know, we fear death and we should not fear death. It's there is no such thing as death. And we're going to be having a show on that coming up on on death in a saint of death. So, ooh, that's, that's a teaser. So Isan was just that way. He was very mindful of everything, from putting on lotion to putting on clothes. He was very mindful of each and every movement. It, that's a form of meditation in Zen. And Thich Nhat Hanh used to always talk about meditating while doing the dishes. You know, how focusing on exactly what you're doing now, every movement, every breath, in every movement I mean just totally being in the now those of you who are uh, believers and followers of Ram Das know his be here now very famous be here now one of my absolute favorite teachings of Ram Das and yes <laughs> another spoiler yes Ram Das is gonna be one of our shows coming up as well so look at Isan look look at all <laughs> look at all the shows that are coming up that are related to what Isan was, is, and what he taught and stood for. Every corner of his Zen center, and later at Hartford Street Zendo, was always dusted and adjusted. Bedding was folded, and there were always fresh flowers around. Many Zen students remember his tenure as director of the building at Page Street, when the polished floors shone as they never have since. 
His long study of tea ceremony under Suzuki Sensei, the wife of Shunro Suzuki Roshi, was another way he perfected the aesthetics of movement in the world of space and time and matter. As often as he reminded us of the importance of taking care of people, he also insisted on the importance of taking care of buildings, gardens, or teacups. When leaving to go somewhere in the city, he always took his black Danish school bag, a finely made canvas bag that had pockets for everything in it. This bag, which he fondly called his life support system, contained a handkerchief, a plastic case filled with toothpicks, pins and pencils, an address book, medications, chapstick matches, a notebook with reminders to himself, breath mints, and among many other things. His famous Sears charge card, the only plastic he ever owned. And I agree with him on that. I'm currently in the process of putting together my life support system bag. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely attest to that. So one of his teachings to others was contained in this reverence for his physical space and for his few worldly possessions. In a 1987 interview with the now defunct gay newspaper, he said, speaking of the Zendo at Hartford Street, all you do here is come sit. It's hard to do, but there's no end to it. You can sit all kinds of ways and you can learn that you can also refine your life endlessly and that there are endless ways of extending yourself into the larger community. So you come and you sit and then we see what happens from there. And again, those of you who aren't familiar with Zen and Zen practices as Zen and sitting meditation would say, well, what help can sitting do for me? And how can sitting be hard? Oh, ho, ho, ho. try it sometime and you'll see. Sit down, turn off all of your media devices, turn off your phones, Cut away everything and anything that can possibly distract you. Sit in the middle of your floor or room. Set your timer for 15 minutes and say, I'm sitting here. I'm going to focus on a spot that's on the floor approximately two feet in front of me. And I'm not going to waver for 15 minutes and see if you can do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I guarantee you this. The first thing that's going to happen is your mind is going to revolt. It's going to freak out. It's going to start screaming, what in the world are you doing? We have many other things that are important than this sitting crap that we need to get up and do. Then about after three minutes or maybe just a few minutes after that, your body's going to start to scream saying, I'm in pain. This hurts. That hurts. We need to move. We need to do this. It is an absolute inner war and torment from hell. I'm telling you, it is far from easy. But as the great Sogyal Rinpoche said, you know, your mind is like a glass of muddy water that's been shaken up. If you sit and let it settle, the mud settles to the bottom and it leaves you with clear water, which the Zen Buddhists call big mind, which we would call the divine, that leaves you with the divine, face to face, heart to heart, energy to energy, you get that direct connection, that direct communion. So it takes a long time to 
allow all the garbage that we have to settle in the mind to settle in the body to settle uh, to reach that point. But once you achieve that, it's there's no words for it. It is absolutely beyond all words. So then, unfortunately, at that time, AIDS came along as the health crisis grew in San Francisco. Isan told a friend that more and more of the epidemic was teaching him what Suzuki Roshi had meant when he talked about big mind. Meditation practice, at least in the Zen tradition of Dogen, come from, uh, that comes from Dogen Zenji, who is, oh my gosh, one of my all-time Favorite Zen masters, yes, we're going to be having a show on Dogen down the road, too. Uh, so, again, uh, at least from the Zen tradition of Dogen, is about mind and body dropping away. As I was just showing and, and ex explaining to you all, or trying to rudimentally explain to you all what the purpose of Zazen or sitting meditation is. Small, lively, individual mind and grasping, needful individual body can recede, if only temporarily, into the background of experience. After 20 years of Zen experience, Isan was able to experience life with big mind, with the divine. In the foreground of consciousness, he began to see and express the fact that an individual death, including his own, might not be such a big thing in the light of the steady, blossoming, big mind experience. So, of course, as it shows here, Isam was a mystic. Who else were mystics? St. Teresa, or Therese, I should say. I'm sure, yeah, St. Teresa of Avila was as well. St. Therese, St. Bernadette, uh, Blessed Father Solanus Casey, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, um, St. Padre Pio. These were all mystics, and I'm going to have a, a a show next week that's going to explain a little bit more of what mystics are. It's not hoodoo, voodoo, magic mystics. It's it. You'll get it. You'll get, you'll get it then. Or you can just look it up on. You can just Google it. <laughs> to appreciate big mind in the midst of a plague is to know that it, the seemingly pressing concerns of individual personalities, identities, and cravings can fall away. In an instant. Now I know many of you may not have been alive. Again, our older audience was when the AIDS epidemic hit, and how the media and government and everything really terrorized uh, us, you know, and especially the gay community on on the AIDS epidemic. And we can relate to that now because we just recently were terrorized by the pandemic and. You know, we're still coming out of that, but, you know, the war in Ukraine, eh, bless them, has taken over the headlines. So we don't hear much more about COVID, even though it's still there. Um, but we can relate. A lot of people during the shutdown and people that were quarantined and all that did a lot of Zazen, a lot of sitting meditation, were able to you know, come to these realizations of the divine and the big mind and whatever you want to call that which can't be labeled. Um, and we see what that brought about. That brought about a huge change uh, in people. You know, for people who did that and for people who were successful, they came out of, you know, the shutdown, changing their lives completely. They left their jobs. They started other jobs. They realized 
how finite life is. Not infinite, but finite. They realized how precious now is and how it's important to to live your life. And, you know, people are doing that. And most of the people are doing that in a beneficial, positive way. But also, as we see, some people have come out of the pandemic with a negative uh, aspect of life and everyone around them and how they feel they're the only ones that matter and the only ones exist. And we're all chess pieces, pawns, or... Uh, characters in their video game that is their life. Okay, so I'm going back up and start that again because it's important. To appreciate Big Mind in the midst of a plague is to know that the seemingly pressing concerns of individual personalities, identities, and cravings can fall away in an instant. With mindful practice, the compassion which arises automatically with the experience of Big Mind makes working for the good of all much easier. Big mind, Isan began to see, presumes that taking care of others is also taking care of self. Again, big mind, the divine, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As co-participants in big minds, sufferer and helper are mutually necessary. Both help, both suffer. Living and surviving while someone nearby is dying becomes like a wave and trough on a surface of a sea. Each needs the other. Both are fleeting. Regular meditation and mindfulness practice gave Isan the experience of mental balance needed to be with self and others through the losses caused by the epidemic. His street experience added an important dimension in the form of daring, direct action that could get things done, like the founding of Maitri Hospice. Yet he knew that no amount of social action and no amount of time on a meditation cushion could spare us from all suffering and grief. He responded to the needs of survivors in different ways at different times. In Buddhism, they refer to life as dukkha, and dukkha is a Sanskrit word meaning suffering. Um, all life is suffering, is what the Buddhists view, and it's not a negative derogatory way. It is a realization that, you know, you lose things that you're attached to. Uh, you lose the people that you love eventually. You know, everyone gets sick. Everyone dies. It's one of the things the Buddha, again, who we're going to do a show on uh, in the future, experienced and to help him to awaken to what truly is uh, the ultimate reality. Um, you know, but again, our our culture, especially here in the U.S., our culture in the media and all the powers that be as far as people goes, uh, want you to not believe that they want you to believe that plan ahead of time make all these plans buy all these things you know the one with the most toys wins the ones with the most money wins work yourself to death literally for money and fame and prestige and all of that and that is not what life is about and not what life should be about a life lived in that way is not a life lived at all Zen Center student George 
Gajewski remembers going to Isan after the death of a close friend. I was so upset, Gajewski said, and I don't remember anything we said at the time, but I do remember that he immediately started doing a small ceremony with me. We both offered incense and then we chanted the Heart Sutra together and somehow that was the right thing to do at that moment. And yeah, I, I can personally, my family and I can personally attest to this. Buddhist ceremonies, religious ceremonies of any faith are so healing and comforting and helping in the worst, absolute worst times of your life. Some years ago, I believe it was 2007, my wife's niece and her children uh, were killed when a car struck, or a car, excuse me, a train, freight train struck their car that was stalled on the railroad tracks. Um, Angie, Faith, and Grace were all killed instantly. Um, little Grace was in a car seat and it, the force of the hit was so bad that it ripped the seatbelt or restraining device through her little body all the way back to her spine. So you could only imagine the grief that our family suffered and there was only one survivor from that, which was the husband, which is my nephew and, and Haven's nephew on her side. And um, we were attending a center, a Buddhist center, Tibetan Buddhist center at the time. And I've explained some of this previously um, on the podcast about my affiliation and how I got into Buddhism. Uh, but where my teacher was and another great teacher was and my wife called the center and just let the uh, curator know and the director of the center know what was going on. He was English American, <clears throat> excuse me, and asked for, you know, the two teachers to pray and offer prayers uh, for Angie Faith and Grace. And he spoke with the director spoke with the teachers and they said, you know, please come come over now and we will do a ceremony. And we went over there and they did the most beautiful Tibetan Buddhist ceremony for Angie Faith and Grace. It's something that I will never forget and it's something I can never thank them enough for. It wasn't for us. You know, it was healing to us, but it was for Angie Faith and Grace to for their souls, their spirits, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe, to cross over peacefully, which is so very important after such a tragic and quick death that it's your, you know, the Buddhists believe that your mind, your consciousness, your spirit, your soul can get lost if you are quickly transitioned from life to death. And so there are practices that, uh, Buddhists do to help guide uh, the soul, which they call the bardo, which is the becoming, which is the stages of between, you know, death and, and life, because Buddhists believe in, in reincarnation and, and rebirth. So again, I'm sorry to detract from, but I, I felt this was a, a perfect place to share that because I want you all to try to feel that 
through my experience and sharing that of exactly what um, Gajewski felt through Isan doing that ceremony. I mean, he wasn't prompted. He didn't ask Isan to do this. Isan naturally did this well, you know, without saying a word, just did this ceremony and really put his heart at ease and gave him such amazing healing. And as we see, you know, it's one of his fondest memories of Isan, and it shows you how selfless Isan was and how he knew exactly what to do. You know, an article began by saying he's not a saint, but you know what? I'll, I'll debate that, you know, I'll, I'll debate that tooth and nail. Isan is definitely a saint, you know, and, you know, wow, infinite blessings to him. It is such ability to spontaneously enact the right thing at the right moment. That is the fruit of advanced practice. Tinryo Steve Allen, Isan's successor at Hartford Street, remembers his friend's ability to deal with the parents and lovers of dying men at the hospice. One of the qualities that Isan exemplified was the ability to accept anything. For instance, his capacity to be there in a room filled with fear and denial and to accept everyone there and everything about the situation. When the person dying could not accept their situation and the friends and family and lovers around them could not accept it, Isan could be there in the midst of it all and accept their non-acceptance. His simple capacity to be with people and accept whatever was happening was what he taught me. And that is a major, major achievement. What, again, what a saint, what an angel. I mean, that is a goal of mine, which I don't know if I'll ever attain or not, but it's something I strive to do is to be like Isan in that moment, to be that, you know, uh, shelter in the storm, for others and I hope this show um, is helpful in that way to you I know one of our listeners constantly tells me how they greatly look for again no ego or pride here none of that um, that's not allowed signs on the door <laughs> well one of their things that they look forward to is the show one of the things that helps keep them calm is the show and they say that you know when life gets crappy which often does for them unfortunately uh, they just go into a quiet room and, and put one of the shows on and it, it helps them and eases them. And I mean, that's that's the divine. That's not me, you know, and I'm just allowing the divine to flow and to to speak with all of you, to speak to your hearts. And again, if I could ever be like Isan, wow, what what a major blessing. Shunko Jamvold remembers Isan in his last years playing with the Japanese Buddhist term Uji which translates to time being or being time. Sometimes he would just yell out the word in the midst of things, Uji! Everyone around him would wonder what he meant. At other times he would make up sentences like, got that Uji thing going on, as if it were a jazz lyric off Carmen McRae's latest album. So it goes to show again how Isan the mystic was directly connected with the divine or with what they call big mind and he always was with that you know with that energy with that divine and the two were never separated you know the two were one just flowing back and forth you know like a, a beautiful dance probably the most profound exposition of the concept of time being is found in Dogen Zenji's fascicle written in 1240 
It is a brief document, seven pages in the Tanahashi English version, yet it contains some of the most challenging, obscure, poetic, and important statements in all Japanese Zen literature. Here are some samples. When sentient beings, now sentient beings are any living being, not just us, but animals and things as well. When sentient beings doubt what they do not understand, their doubt is not firmly fixed. Because of that, their past doubts do not necessarily coincide with the present doubt. Yet doubt itself is nothing but time. Or, take this one. You may suppose that time is only passing away and not understand that time is never arriving. Although understanding itself is time, understanding does not depend on its own arrival. Or, as overwhelming is caused by you, or, yeah, overwhelming, excuse me, as overwhelming is caused by you, there is no overwhelming that is separate from you. Thus you go out and meet someone. Someone meets someone. You meet yourself. Going out meets going out. If these are not the actualization of time, they cannot be thus. I know, you're scratching your head saying, what did he just say? <laughs> That's Zen. Zen is very, very deep. And to say it's an onion with many layers, with a sweet core, is a gross <laughs> understatement. So what... Uh, the great master Dogen is pointing at because this is for you to analyze and decide yourself. What Dogen is pointing at is that time does not exist. Time is a man-made thing. Again, all we have is now, this present moment. And because you're looking at a clock and it's ticking doesn't mean there's now, there's now, there's now, there's now, there's now, there's now, there's now. No, it's just now, period. No past, no future, only now. There's only been, there has only been now, and there will only ever be now. Again, I know it's, it's a huge concept, but if you want to sit and meditate on it sometime, go ahead. It's, it's, it's great stuff. And again, also, when you meet somebody, who are you meeting? You're meeting the divine, the divine in that being. And where is that divine as well? That divine is in you. So you're meeting yourself, self meeting self, divine meeting divine. You know, the Buddhists uh, say a lot, if you see negativity in others, you're actually seeing the negativity in yourself. If you see joy and happiness in others, you're seeing the joy and happiness in yourself. And it's a way to work on things. Because if someone says something, say they critique you or say something mean to you and it bothers you, then it's something you need to work on. Um, you don't smack the person at an Oscar award ceremony. You look inside and say, why did that bother me? Or why did I allow that to bother me? Or better yet, here's an incredible Buddhist question. Who did it bother? Who is this I, this me, this mine that was bothered? And don't worry, folks. I'll give some explanation on this when we get to the Buddha episode down the line down or as my grandfather used to always say down the pike when we get down the pike a little bit to the to the Buddha episode I will share more about that that's the whole uh, Buddhist what they call emptiness and not emptiness is a nothing is it's a no dash thing not one thing no thing 
Uh, we'll get into that. So don't 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 get a brain hemorrhage over that. If you want the brain hemorrhage, go over the Father Mike's podcast. Hey, did I mention Father Mike? <laughs> no, honestly, check his podcast out. It is wow, wow. This is Dogen at his most beautiful and most profound, pushing the limits of language, pushing the limits of his reader's ability to understand. So the question is, did Isan understand this difficult concept of time intertwined with the inseparable from existence, or did he just like the sound of the word Uji? The answer seems to show itself in the fruit of Isan's practice, rather than in any conceptual framework given. For instance, in a Dharma talk, which is a teaching or a lecture, once he was listening to a gay man who was talking to him at length about what direction he should take in the future. After describing to Isan the various alternatives available to him and the consequences he envisioned for pursuing each of these particular choices, the man finally stopped and asked Isan, well, what do you think? I don't know, Isan said. I just got here. <laughs> A gentle, ironic reminder that the only time is just getting here. That future and past are spun from delusion and that the fullness of time and time being or being time can only be got to through the door of present practice. There is no overwhelming that is separate from you is another way of saying I just got here. Understanding does not depend on its own arrival. The difficult but truer than true teaching from the Uji fascicle could have been the motto of Isan's whole life of practice. While he was not an intellectual, he was able to appreciate those like Richard Baker who were. His understanding manifested itself in the offhand remark or in the way he entered a room or took over his tea bowls. Like the best of the Zen masters, his understanding was manifest in his body, in his walking, in his cooking, in his loving application of the oil of Olay to his face and shiny monk's scalp. If his Dharma talks were not intellectual performances, they were not without their own charm and directness. Once at a question and answer tea session at Hartford Street, a young gay man asked him, I've been studying for six months now and I don't notice any difference in my behavior or thoughts. You've been doing Zazen for 20 years and have you noticed any difference in yourself? After a few minutes of hesitation and puzzled facial expressions, Isan replied, well, I don't wear high heels anymore. And that's an amazing thing with Isan is that you can kind of see where he kind of did the parable things, you know, where he, he could relate to anybody and everyone. And he wasn't a collegiate starch shirt standing up there uh, giving Dharma talks. Dharma is the teachings of the Buddha or also known as truth. And him, him giving these lectures and these talks, he would put it in everyday language that everybody, anybody coming in off the street was able to understand and what and again no ego or pride but just a, as a reference back when I used to teach that was exactly the way I did as well because I could not stand grabbing a book and it was filled and full of collegiate words that you had to actually 
take a dictionary or a thesaurus or both and keep it next to you and look up every other word just to be able to understand what the person was conveying. That's not how Jesus taught. That's not how Buddha taught. That's not how saints teach. That's not the message angels give us in the flesh and in spirit and light. It's got to be in what is everyday, understandable language to each and every person. And blessings, infinite blessings for Esau for seeing that and for doing that. And he helped countless people. And indeed, not all things changed with Esan. He was certainly no model of adherence to the Buddhist precepts. His drinking, although limited in later years, mostly to Friday night outings, still could get him in trouble. The poor judgment, which led to unsafe sex and thus to his infecting incident, occurred while he was drunk. His tolerance for the bizarre led him to allow behavior in James, his addicted, sometimes lover, that strained the tolerance of the communities that lived in and which sometimes led to violence against Esan. His doctor and fellow Zen student, Rick Levine, recalls, I loved Esan. There was a transcendental loveliness about him, but it makes me nervous when people mythologize him or call him a saint. Well, sorry, I did and I stick with that and I stand by that. I'll explain that in a moment. He enjoyed being admired as most of us do, so he might not object to being thought of in that way. But his dying was exemplary in its ordinariness. Like everyone, he had difficulties. He had a special fondness for and interest in his medications. He got anxious and he could get pretty angry. In other words, Isan experienced all the conflicts of ethics and behavior of hedonism versus detachment that many gay men go through or anybody so that was in the article not me saying that everybody goes through those things not just gay people when trying to put together a spiritual practice he went through all the fear and anger and denial that anyone facing death must experience there was no posturing with Isan, says dr levine he didn't die like a story from the deaths of ancient Zen teachers, but he did die beautifully cared for by old and loving friends. So again, a reminder, I did not write this article. These aren't my words, and thus the reason why I interjected at that very moment. And um, again, I, I chose this article because it was very, very good, but I also chose it to show that it's not just Christians who are... I hate to use the term, but gay bashers. It is also Buddhist. There's that misconception. And you think of all the people in the world, Buddhist wouldn't be like that. Go back to some of the other uh, shows that I've done where I talked about, you know, the Buddhists coming after me um, and trying to persecute me back in the day. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tragedy and a shame, you know, that this is how they thought. But I still stand by that Isan is a saint. He really was. And, you know, this is quite common, even in other forms of faiths and religions, that people who have that connection with the divine still are susceptible to humanism, to being human, to life, to addictions, to um, 
hang-ups. You know, just because they have that divine connection doesn't mean they're perfect. And that's the thing. See, that's where we fail. And I believe, and again, I'm not singling out Roman Catholics, but that's kind of where we fail because we put this person, say the Pope, up on a pedestal and say that, you know, he is unfallible or infallible, that he cannot err. Personally, he can err, but um, as the Pope quote, in quote, he cannot, he's infallible. And what's the, the, the old saying, to, to err is human? That's, that's absolute fact. We are human and we are, we do err. And I don't care, you can take the, the, the greatest monk, the greatest priest, the most divine person, and they're going to have bad days. They're going to have bad times. They're going to stub their toe and curse. Uh, you know, and it's, it, it's just human. It's what we are. Um, and you know, we're going to have shows in the future about that and how, how we can better deal uh, with things, how we can be better humans. If you're not already getting that from the show, we'll have shows on that. So look again, look, look what Isan and, and Father Mike have sparked here. So many uh, infinite amount of future shows that we're going to have spinoffs of, you know, because of and from this and inspired by this. Um, so, again, I just want to point it out. Don't allow um, Isan's, you know, tragic life into taint or tarnish his image in your heart because look at all of the good he did for so many people i mean even if you want to just boil it down to the people in the hospice that he helped people with aids you know that's like jesus helping the lepers um and yeah i made that comparison um you know Jesus didn't shy away from lepers. He welcomed them. He healed them. And that's exactly what Esau did. He welcomed them. He healed them. He healed their heart. He healed their soul. In the early days of the AIDS epidemic, when the Christian right was describing AIDS as the wrath of God directed against homosexuals for their sins, Esau was asked to participate in a San Francisco Council of Churches symposium called is AIDS the wrath of God? He was the only Buddhist representative at the meeting, and he was quite empathetic about removing the reality of AIDS from the dualistic good, bad, sin, salvation paradigm being dealt with at the conference. He ended his short presentation with the astonishing statement that AIDS is not the wrath of God. AIDS is God. As Esam was called upon more and more to make sense of the AIDS pandemic for himself and for others, he was able to teach Buddhism in the context in which it was surely meant to be taught. That is, within the framework of life and death search. The Buddhist teaching of impermanence began to take on new power in immediately excuse me, immediacy as Isan's work with the founding of Hartford Street Zindo soon turned into the work of founding a hospice for people dying of AIDS. Before there were, was even any clear name or understanding of the disease, Isan regularly visited a young gay man in San Francisco General Hospital who had what we now know was AIDS. 
Taking Isan aside after one of his visits, a stern and disapproving charge nurse commented to him that this particular patient had probably had more than 400 sex partners. Miffed at the woman's moralistic tone, Isan terminated the conversation. Only 400 partners, he said loudly, as if on stage again. Is that all? And yes, not all by any means. But there are many nurses and doctors out there that have horrible views, uh, horrible lives, and they treat people horribly. Again, you go back and listen to my previous podcast, especially if you go over to the old Heart uh, podcast, uh, you know, From the Heart or From Angel's Heart podcast that I did uh, last year, you will hear my first-hand story of experience in the hospital for two weeks uh, with nurses uh, and some doctors who could care less. But infinite blessings to Isan for being there for that person and for helping them, regardless of what anybody thinks. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a Christian saying there is, who cares what anybody else thinks? As long as you're doing what the divine, what God uh, whatever you want to call that which is that cannot be labeled, what, as long as you're doing what they want you to do, it, him, he, she, whatever you want to call it, you can't go wrong. Who cares what anybody else thinks? And blessings and bravo to Eason for doing exactly that. I know. I did it again. Sorry, folks. I <laughs> You can tell my buttons when my buttons are pushed and I get fired up. I'm sorry. I'll step back down again from the from the soapbox and pulpit. <laughs> sorry, folks. J.D. was the first gay man with AIDS to be taken in by Isan. He was virtually at the point of death when he arrived. But the good care he received at the Hartford Street helped him live for quite some time. At one point, J.D. asked Isan if he could give a Dharma talk. Isan had no problems granting J.D.'s request, even though many gay people around the Zendo reminded Isan that J.D. had a rather severe case of dementia and would probably embarrass himself and everyone attending the talk. So bless J.D.'s heart. He not only was dying from AIDS, but he also had the late onset of dementia. And as we've been sharing here lately or I've been sharing here lately in prayer request for uh, our beloved Doris who is suffering from the late onset of dementia we all have dementia was Isaac's gleefully response to the community's reservations and despite the discomfort of others JD gave his best effort at giving a Dharma talk this lecture however uncomfortable it might have been for his audience came to be of great benefit to JD and was a major spiritual mind milestone for him prior to his death. So isn't that amazing that here, bless his heart, JD wanted to give a Dharma talk. He wanted to give a lecture, a Buddhist lecture and, and ask, you know, Isan for his blessing. And he gave that for him and was a, allowed him to have, have that dream. And I can tell you again, like, no ego or pride, but just, you know, sharing, is someone who who gave the Dharma talks and and teachings and stuff that there's there's nothing quite like it. It's like this podcast, me sharing these shows and these people with you. There's nothing like it. It's so otherworldly. It's so other spiritually. It's so 
you know, when you open up and you connect with the vine and just let it flow through you. And as it unfolds, it unfolds and whatever comes out, comes out uh, from heart to heart to heart. It's just it's such an amazing blessing. And I'm so beyond happy. I'm tearing up now. I'm so beyond happy that J.D. got that experience. And I no doubt that was such an incredible um, benefit to him. So we continue where it says we all have dementia was just another way of reminding everyone of the delusions which make up the fabric of our daily lives. While others around the Zendo were caught up with the ideas about JD's intellectual competence and the protocols of Dharma discourse, Isan made his decisions with other criteria in mind. Status in the Sangha, the hidden agenda behind opposition to JD's talk, was not a factor in Isan's decision. Just compassion and the true expression of the practice, practice of equanimity. In other words, who is capable of saying who else is accomplished enough to speak the Dharma or any truth for that matter? I added that part. Who among us is not deluded or demented? And amen to that. I mean, we all we all have a problem seeing ultimate reality and seeing things for what they truly are. Everybody sees something different. I used to tell my students, you can take uh, a cup and put a, a red liquid in it and sit it in the middle of a coffee table and have everybody look at that quietly and then have each person describe what they saw privately away from each other. So that way they don't affect each other, what each other says. And each person will see something different. That's just how we are. That's who we are as beings, is that we see all things differently. And the thing is, is our practice, our faith helps us or should help us to drop that, to begin to see the similarities and the commonness in everything, the divine in everything, because everything is the divine and the divine is everything. Everything from inanimate objects such as a rock to us people, everything, everything is from the divine. Later, expanding on this idea in a Dharma talk to the Hartford Street community, which he gleefully referred to as the posture queens, Isan said, don't invite your thoughts to tea is an expression of Suzuki Roshi's, which I've always found useful. Lately, I have been exploring this way of thinking with a friend who has AIDS, dementia. The virus is living in his brain. I'm thinking and working on it and talking with him about it because the virus that is now attacking many of us ends up being in the brain. So is there some way for us to experience that? I don't know yet. My question is how to be with people who have dementia and how to experience the dementia that we all have now anyway. It's called delusion. AIDS is about living, Isan said more than once. Whatever happens after death, the experience of big mind happens in the world of the living. In the big mind context, which Isan came to realize pleasure and pain, fear and confidence, denial and acceptance are all just a dip and wave in the ever-changing ocean of change 
and liberation. If Isan was not a saint, he was at least on his way to becoming a bodhisattva. Er, blowing the horn on that one. Same thing. A bodhisattva is someone who vows to uh, spend eternity helping all beings who are suffering, i.e. us, until there is no more suffering. Saints do the same thing. Again, uh, exchangeable term. So I flagged, I fl flag on the play. <laughs> Two minutes for high sticking, I call it. <laughs> Perhaps in Isan's case, the early Mahayana definition of the Arhat needs to be revived. At the point in Buddhist history, an Arhat was considered to be one who had attained deep understanding of the Dharma, but was not yet completely liberated. Isan was just that, still a bit addicted, still codependent, still subject to anger and fears, not perfect, but he was solidly, solid, well, easy for you to say, solidly on the path, and he helped guide many of us along with him into the world of practice. In his last days, now with the title of abbot, he had certainly gone beyond what anyone might have expected of the 1960s boy who looks like a girl next door. As Buddhism makes its way more thoroughly into the religious history of Europe and North America, Isan will be remembered. I so hope he is. I think as the man, woman, male, mother figure who kicked over the boundary stones of the West's most underrated God, Terminus, his compassion threw open the high Episcopal church doors of the over-intellectual, self-important Zen community of his time. He let the hungry and the addicted and the demented into his Zendo without a second thought. This was his legacy. Or I should say, I'll clarify that. This is his legacy. His personal history was proof to many of us in those days that maybe we could make a go of Buddhist practice. If he can do it, then maybe I can too, is a thought that ran through many more minds than just my own. He was sometimes criticized for his continued loyalty to the exiled Richard Baker, and that loyalty did have a traditional Confucianism, or con excuse me, Confucian, unquestioning reverence to it. But it was also another part of his tendency to accept a wide range of people with all their deluded behaviors. It was part of his non-judging and his automatic identification with anyone in trouble. There is an old tradition in Chinese Zen of remembering Zen masters by the name of the mountain or monastery where they lived. In Lone Mountain's case, this happened in reverse. The Hartford Street Zendo is now called Isan G. Lone Mountain Temple. And because of Isan Dorsey, it still remains a place. Like every proper Buddhist temple, where people who are not perfect can practice Buddhism together and see what happens. And as we like to say with regard to saints, they don't die. They just go to sleep in this lifetime. So Isan went to sleep from AIDS complications on September 6th, 1990. So once again, infinite thanks and blessings to Father Mike Cantor of Logic in the Bible podcast. 
and many other amazing things. Father Mike, thank you so much. And if you could see me now, I'm bowing deeply to you. And I know you said not to bow to you because you're just a teacher, which is you compared to a plumber just with different knowledge. But since this is a Buddhist uh, topic or subject and subject, I will do as Buddhists do. And I bow before you. Thank you infinitely, uh, Father Mike, for blessing us with uh, Isan Dorsey and um, this amazing podcast, which I pray with my the deepest core of my heart and being that it helps others and helps overcome uh, people who misunderstand and misinterpret what others are. Uh, and it's just, you know, I the world would be a better place if we would all look at each other and see the divine in each other and just that. So I'm going to close with a prayer um, for the misunderstood, because I think that would be a very good note to end on here. It goes and feel free to change this prayer to whatever you want. And I'll have a link to it on the um, show notes like I will everything. And again, don't forget to check out Father Mike's podcast. <laughs> I keep banging that drum and I'm going to. Dear loving Father, why does it seem like they're so far away? Why can't they understand me? Why so much distance? A loving Lord, I feel abandoned. I seek rest for my weary heart. So I go to you again to be filled with your spirit, the spirit of truth that opens my mind and my heart to tell me, be quiet, be still. Let my work and my will be done. Trust in me. Rest in me. This way I will give you a humble and merciful heart. Then you will learn to love as I love my son. And as my son loves you. Let it be this way, O Lord. Let your mighty grace break down the walls that separate our love. Bring us together in spirit and truth. And let our understanding give praise and glory to God in Jesus' name. Amen. So I will pause here for now. I so hope and pray that you all enjoyed the show and that this show is everything that you've been looking for and even more and that it continues to be that and even more for as long as possible. I am always greatly open to suggestions, recommendations for people to showcase on the show. As I've said infinite times, um, you we have people from all over the world now listening to the show, and I know that each and every one of you have such amazing beings, past and present in your culture that we have no idea about, but we should know about. So please, please, please take a moment to contact me, reach out to me, share these people and their stories with me, or at least where I can find the information uh, to locate information on these people so we can have it on the shows. Also, I love to pray. I am always doing my level best to be in a continuous state of prayer. And people that listen to the show love to pray as well. And we would all love to pray for you. 
if you would like for us to pray for you, please, there is on the website, which I'm going to give you the information here in a minute, information, there's a form at the bottom of the website that you can fill out to submit your prayer request. It asks for your first and last name. You don't have to give any of that. It does ask, the only thing you have to fill out is your email address, and that way I can write you back just to let you know I received your prayer request and that we'll be doing it. Um, There's a an area there where you can write out what your prayer request is. If it's for you, it's for a loved one, for a friend. If anyone that prays knows that the more information you have about the persons you're praying for, the better. So feel free to share as much information as you're comfortable sharing. And also please note on there, if you want me to just pray for that person or for you on my own, or if it's okay for me to share that on the show so we can get as many people as possible praying. So please make sure you note that on there. So there's two ways that you can contact me. The first is through our website, and that also has the prayer request form on there. And you can find our website, if you don't already know it, at Faith and More Podcast. That's all one word, Faith and More Podcast dot Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T dot com slash my dash site s-i-t-e again that's faith and more podcast slash my dash site or you can email me directly at faith and more podcast again all one word faith and more podcast at gmail.com thank you all so much for listening i so hope you all return next week please If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really enjoyed the show, please share it with as many people as you possibly can. Because right now, that's the only way our show gets out is by word of mouth and by sharing. So the more people you talk to about and share with, the more people we can have listening and the more people we can bless with these stories of these amazing beings. So again, thank you all so very much for listening. Please know that you all are in my heart and my prayers. I love each and every one of you so much. Always remember, love yourself and love others. And I will see you all again next week.